And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome into another week of the Athletic Baseball Show. Monday means Ken's mailbag. I'm Tim McMaster along with Ken Rosenthal. Ken, week one of the 2021 MLB season, it was filled with oddities, like unlikely performances, and just wild stories overall. Jason Stark had done a great job of kind of wrapping that up. But this last week, there was some feel-good stories, right? San Diego native Joe Musgrove throws the first no-hitter in Padres franchise history. They're the last team to do that. And then on Sunday, Brent Honeywell, I think 1,300 days since he last took the mound. I think that was the number I saw, throwing two shutout innings for the Rays. Just a great story after everything he had been through. Baseball season feels back and feels fun. It's a lot of fun. And Honeywell in particular, if he can stay healthy, is going to be a great story. Throws a screwball. We don't see many of those anymore, hardly at all. And then, of course, Musgrove, Friday night, electrified the sport. I'm going to leave my notes column on Monday with him and what he accomplished. And also, just his transformation, or evolution, I should say, as a pitcher. Spoke with Ray Searage and Oscar Marin, his pitching coaches with the Pirates, last two pitching coaches. And they had some interesting things to say about what he has done. It's been fascinating seeing his career and, and the way guys can figure things out. As for Honeywell, I actually remember I was in Miami in 2017 for the Futures game in the ballpark, and I remember him. He won the MVP with that screwball. It was electric. He's probably not the same guy now, right? But but he was effective on Sunday. He was. Two innings. They just wanted him to open. And yeah. again, it's going to be limited for him. They can only pitch him so much coming off right. all the injuries and the lack of innings he's had over the years. But... He is an intriguing guy, and he's also got kind of a neat personality. So if he does succeed, he's going to be a fun guy to follow. Wasn't all feel good, though, in the last week. A little bit of controversy uh, as well, including uh, news that you broke about Major League Baseball collecting some suspicious baseballs from Trevor Bauer's last start. And I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Tim, I do. And I want to start off with that. That story, and it was about Bauer and baseball's latest crackdown on pitchers using foreign substances. Now, what I reported, for those who might have missed it, is that the umpires in Bauer's start against the A's last week collected multiple balls he threw during that game, balls that had visible markings and were sticky, which seemingly suggests that they had foreign substances on them. Now, with stories like this, I I can't stress this enough, context is important. And the context here is that Major League Baseball is stepping up its efforts to enforce Rule 6.02, and that's the one that prohibits pitchers from using foreign substances, having them on their body, etc. Pitchers apply these substances to get a better grip, and also, in recent years, to increase their spin rates. And if you remember, the Athletics' Eno Saris wrote in November 
your favorite pitcher probably is cheating. All right, so why report on Bauer and Bauer alone when all pitchers are subject to increased examination this season and balls are being taken from every pitcher in every game? The answer is pretty simple. I had information from multiple sources on Bauer, information that distinguished him from other pitchers. The sources told me that the scrutiny of Bauer arose from balls that were brought to the umpire's attention. Now, as I wrote, it is not known whether balls from other pitchers have raised the same concerns as Bauer's. As I also wrote, even if the balls Bauer threw are found to have contained foreign substances, it remains to be seen whether the league can prove he was responsible for them or whether any punishment imposed by Commissioner Rob Manfred would even stand. The Players Association, as with any situation like this, reserves the right to challenge discipline, whether it's a fine or a suspension. You might have seen some of the reaction to the story. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts expressing concern that Bauer is being singled out. Bauer having his say on Twitter without actually addressing whether he indeed used foreign substances, an issue he has been very outspoken about in the past. The most telling reaction, though, Tim, is going to come from Major League Baseball. Will the league indeed more rigorously enforce the rules on pitchers using foreign substances and discipline those pitchers who are cheating? Or will it refrain from discipline and simply use its latest procedures to better understand what pitchers are doing? After that, perhaps the league would come up with some type of universal plan to attack the problem, perhaps by introducing a new tackier ball that is easier to grip, making the use of the substances less necessary. One thing we know, this issue has yet to be solved, and this issue is not going away. Certainly interesting that Bauer is involved in this, Ken. I mean, you think back, and he's a guy who has actually spoken out about this sort of thing. And, you know, a lot of pitchers in baseball, and you talk to former pitchers, they're more willing to talk about this, but they talk about bullfrog, the the sunscreen, and the need for that on summer months just so you can grip the baseball. But like I was saying, it's interesting that that it is Bauer as one of the people that's a part of this right now because he has called this out specifically with the Astros in the past. He has to, and there's no question about that. And yet, at the same time, he's a guy that experimented in 2018 for one inning in which his spin rates jumped dramatically. And that was thought to be some kind of message to MLB how quickly this can be done. And also, last year, his spin rates were way up on all of his pitches, and some people suspected that perhaps he was doing something with the ball. Nothing was ever proven, nothing like that. So, yes, he's been at the center of this discussion, no question about it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. 
All right, let's move on to the mailbag now. And you can get involved. We've told you before, but you can do it by voicemail, which is great because you can hear your voice on the show or email uh, to get to the voicemail line. It's 646-543-7072. The email is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. It's as easy as that. There's always a couple of topics that really get multiple questions. One of them this week, obviously Bauer. And because you covered so much of it there, there's just one follow-up that we can go to, Ken. And uh, this one is from Julian. Let's give a listen. Hi, Ken. This is Julian Coleman. Um, I'm just wondering how you feel about the whole Trevor Bauer situation. What do you think the adequate punishment should be if he is caught with some sort of illegal substance on his baseball? Well, Julian, that's a good question because we really haven't seen someone penalized for this in quite some time. You go back to Michael Pineda with the Yankees. I believe that was 2014. I might be wrong. And remember, he had that substance all over his neck. It was plainly visible to the naked eye. He got 10 games. So I imagine if another pitcher, Bauer, whoever else, was found or believed to have used these substances, then it would be a penalty approximately in the same area. It's not going to be like steroids where the first penalty is 80 games. Baseball operates always on precedent. And the precedent here, at least the most recent precedent, as far as I can remember, is 10 games. All right, we mentioned the no-hitter at the top of the show. Great weekend for the Padres overall, but Michael is thinking big picture, not settling on the no-hitter. Hi, my name is Michael from San Diego. Do the Padres need to make one more key move before the trade deadline to contend with the Dodgers, or do you believe they're good to contend now with who they have? Michael, I actually believe they do have one more move, and I believe they will make that one more move. The one difference, the one issue I see with this team is the back end of the bullpen. Now, it hasn't surfaced so far. Mark Melanson's been fantastic. He's a new addition. They've also added Keone Kella. Melanson, you can't be any better than he's been. But remember, they lost Kirby Yates to free agency, lost Trevor Rosenthal to free agency. Turned out they're better off without those guys, both of whom are out for the year. But they still, in my mind, could use one more guy in the ninth. And that guy, I'll speculate on him right here, is Josh Hader, or could be Josh Hader. Now, keep in mind, the Padres can't simply have any player that they want, even though they seem to trade for any player that they want. The Brewers are off to a good start. Their starting pitching is outstanding. They look like they might be a pretty good team in a very competitive NL Central. So I'm not saying that Hader will be the guy, but that's the type, and that's a guy that they've had interest in in the past. So... If I were you and all Padres fans, all baseball fans, I'd be looking for them to supplement their bullpen. Even if they don't get the ninth inning guy and do it more in the seventh and eighth, whatever the profile might be, I don't expect them to be done in that area of the team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Everybody needs pitching, especially late in the season. All right, the other topic that got a lot of uh, mentions this week as far as the mailbag goes is the Yankees. They traded for Rugnet Odor this week after he had been designated for assignment by the Rangers. The move didn't, though, inspire the fan base, at least not the fan base that got in touch with us, Ken. We got multiple questions about the shortstop in the Bronx, including this one. Hey, Ken, Matt Bono here, big Yankee fan, and my question is regarding Glaber Torres and the Yankee situation at shortstop. How can they address this during the season? Because obviously it needs like they need to if they're going to win a World Series. And do you see them targeting someone like Trevor Story 
or waiting until the free agency uh, until to get Corey Seager? Matt, this is a question that is on all Yankees fans' minds. Now, when you talk to the team, people with the team, they say, listen, Glaber Torres worked his butt off in the winter, lost weight, is really a guy that they feel can still man the position. But the eye test doesn't suggest as much, and this is the second year of this now. Remember, they let Didi go, turned it over to Glaber Torres, and now... After re-signing LeMahieu to play second base, that's where they want him, and having Luke Voigt at first, it seems like they're boxed in. Now, what do they do? Now, my friend Joel Sherman of the New York Post wrote a compelling column the other day suggesting that they trade Glaber Torres for Trevor Story, who is a potential free agent. Torres, on the other hand, four years of control, including this one remaining. I don't expect the Yankees will do that. I don't know that Joel expects the Yankees will do that simply because of the amount of control that they'd be giving up. But if you remember, as Joel pointed out, that's what the Cubs did to get Chapman from the Yankees. And when they traded Torres to the Yankees all those years ago. So, well, actually just in 16. Is that a viable move? I don't know that it's a viable move. And I don't know if that happened exactly how it would bode for the future because they'd have to re-sign Story or one of the big shortstops. Maybe it's Seager, ideally, perhaps, because he bats left-handed. The question is, can they keep going with Torres all season and expect to win a World Series? If he improves and proves competent at the position, I would say yes. But right now, I don't know that any of us are exactly seeing that. So this is going to be something that lingers with them. And it might be at some point they do have to make a move, but I don't know how they make a move and then keep Torres and shuffle all the infielders around. That would be an interesting question because they only have so many spots in the infield to go with. Long story short, something to monitor. Torres, so much potential, but when you want to win now, as the Yankees do, you got to make tough decisions like that one. All right, up next, uh, we're going to check in with Doug. My name is Doug, and I was wondering, which hot start do you believe more? Yermin Mercedes or Tyler Naquin? Thanks. Ooh, Doug, that's a good one. Sounds like a fantasy question, but it's a valid question if you're a fan and you want to know, okay, we've seen these two guys, Mercedes with the White Sox, Naquin with the Reds. They've gotten off to extremely hot starts, probably unsustainable in both cases. But the question from Doug is, which one is the keeper? Now, they're quite different. Naquin had over 1,000 plate appearances in this league, and his OPS plus, that park-adjusted, league-adjusted OPS, was exactly league average before this season. Now, one reason for that is he's been injured a lot. Five trips to the injured list between 2018 and 20. So you think if he's healthy in that ballpark, if he can even remotely sustain this, that's a pretty good player. Mercedes is a guy that we're just seeing really for the first time. But in the minor leagues, he always, always, always could hit. The question was his defensive position. Could he play at catcher, etc.? 857 OPS in the minors in about, I don't know, 2,400 plate appearances or so. So I'm expecting him to not be this good. It would be hard to be this good for a whole season. But I don't expect that he's going to lose the hit tool all of a sudden. So... In my view, both these guys are guys who, at the very least, can have good seasons. Whether they're as good as we've seen, that would be hard to do. But at the same time, 
There is potential in both. There always has been potential in both. Nick Wynn's a talented guy. So is Mercedes. I think they're for real. Yeah, certainly. We mentioned feel-good stories at the beginning of the show, and there's a couple of them as well. Uh, it is the second episode of Ken's Mailbag, and we have gotten our first tanking question. Ken, here you go. Hey, my name is Zach. Uh, love the show so far. Uh, I was just wondering, I'm a big Jays fan. We've kind of seen this pattern of some teams in the recent years, like the Cubs and Astros and now the Blue Jays and some other teams kind of being a couple years away going through these rebuilds and then building up these super teams from young kids and then adding talent when the time is right. And I was wondering, is it good for baseball seeing all these teams go through rebuilds rather than being kind of stuck in the middle as a wild card team? Do you see that being a problem for the game of baseball and MLB overall? Zach, it's been a problem. And this is a topic of discussion that we're going to hear a lot about in the months ahead as the collective bargaining negotiations begin. I look at it a few different ways. The game is cyclical. It's always going to be cyclical. Some teams are going to be better some years. Some teams are going to fade in certain years. Up and down they will go. It's really rare to see what the Dodgers have done, all those consecutive division titles and just staying at this level for so long. That said, the current framework of this game, the economic system of this game, basically encourages teams to do what the Cubs and Astros did, to do what the Blue Jays did to a certain extent. And unless that framework is changed in the next CBA, then you're not going to see anything change because the general managers and the front offices, they are incentivized to rebuild going all the way back. That's the best way to get the high draft picks. It's the best way to get the most international bonus money. So you're going to hear me say this time and again, my solution to this is to provide better incentives towards staying competitive. And there are all kinds of ways to do that. One would be to make a draft lottery like the NBA has. So if you're a team, let's just say the Pirates this year, and you lose 110, you're not necessarily getting the first pick. Sorry, you're entered into a lottery with all the other sub-500 teams to pick one way to do it, and then we'll see what happens. There are other things you can do too. For instance, we see a luxury tax threshold at the top, right? The high end with salaries. You go over a certain amount, you get penalized. Well, why can't it be that if you go under a certain amount, you also get penalized, a threshold at the bottom? I know fans, a lot of fans want a salary cap, but the union in the sport has always been vehemently opposed to that concept. And I expect that it's going to remain vehemently opposed. It's not changing. But if you put something at the bottom of the payroll structure, similar to what is at the top of the payroll structure, that can incentivize winning as well. And then you address service time manipulation. You do a number of other things to give teams a better motivation, for lack of a better term. And hey, you can even award draft picks to teams that win a certain number of games per year. There are all kinds of ways to do it, and that has to be part of the next CBA, in my opinion. Otherwise, teams are going to play within the rules and seek every possible advantage, and it's just not healthy for the sport overall, even understanding that the game is cyclical and that not every team can be good every year. Yet another reason it's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. Fans on the south side of Chicago already getting impatient this season as expectations around the White Sox are ramping up, Ken. 
Hey, my name is Zach Parker, calling in from Chicago. I had a question about the uh, White Sox and their upcoming season. So last week, the White Sox, they allowed about seven runs in the bottom of the sixth inning last week, in which Tony La Russa took the blame for it, stating that he did a really lousy job managing that inning. Do you see La Russa's managerial experience kind of creating sort of a hurdle for the White Sox to have to get over throughout the rest of the season? Or do you think that's something he's going to be able to adjust to? Certainly a fair question, considering that La Russa is managing for the first time since 2011. Obviously, it's a different game than the one he left. There's more analytics. There are different rules, three batter rule for relievers. There's all kinds of things that have changed in the game. And that incident you referred to was the game in which he let Matt Foster stay in, the reliever, give up five runs, five hits on a walk, 34 pitches, and it just was too long. The good news is Larusa owned it. He said right after the game, that is on me. That's bad managing. I shouldn't have let him out there to take that. And right away, he took ownership for it. Gained a lot of respect in the clubhouse that night. I will guarantee you that. I mean, we're not in the clubhouses talking to players, but that is the kind of thing that players appreciate. So while he might have some growing pains, I guess if you want to call them that, I don't know if that's the right phrase for someone of his age, but he is going to learn, and I don't know that he's going to make many mistakes. He's still Tony La Russa. He's still really good. The biggest question I had was, can he relate to these guys? He's so much older than them, and it seems like he's doing that fairly well. So I don't expect Tony La Russa to be a detriment. This team is really good, and if anything, he'll get more comfortable as time goes on, not that he's not comfortable right now, and be even better. I think we have to remember that this is a guy that when he previously managed was considered by many to be a genius as far as managing goes, and, and he still has that brain as to go with uh, all of that. All right, next question is about the playoffs and the possibility of more playoffs. I was curious to know what you thought of the likelihood of that being included on the next uh, collective bargaining agreement. I, for one, am opposed to it because I think that having more teams in the playoffs will ultimately disincentivize teams to compete. This is one of the core issues right now in any talks between the union and Major League Baseball. Those talks really haven't started yet, but it will be a core issue. And it's funny because in one way, you can look at it and say, well, more teams in the playoffs, more teams are going to try because there's a better chance of getting in. But the union's fear is that, just as you said, it will further disincentivize teams from going all out. For instance, the Dodgers, would they spend as much? The Yankees, would they spend as much knowing that they've got a better chance of going in? Now, the solution to this, right off the bat, is to adopt some of those incentive-type things that I suggested to the last caller. And also, keep in mind, too, what we saw last year, the 16-team expanded playoffs with no buy in the first round, no real advantage to winning your division. That was a one-time thing. And what was discussed last February, I believe it was, and I think this was my friend Joel Sherman again, he wrote this first. What was discussed was a 14-team playoff, going from five teams to seven teams in each league. Not 16, 14. Team with the best record would go straight to the division series, gets a buy into the wild card round. 
the wild card round would be best of three. The other two division winners, along with the team with the best wild card record, would host all three games. So there's plenty of incentive, one, to win your division, also to finish with the best overall record, and even to finish with the best wild card record because of the home field advantage you would get in the first round. Something like that, to me, is entirely reasonable. And keep in mind, there would still be fewer than 50% of the teams getting in, 14 of 30. And also, once the sport expands, and that's coming at some point in the future, I don't know if it's three years away, five years, but they're going to get to 32. It's better for scheduling. It's better in a lot of ways. At that point, you'd have a structure in place that would be really healthy. So I do expect that in this next CBA, the expanded playoffs are going to be adopted. And it's a different scenario when you're talking about the grand vision of the CBA and all the different components of it. You can negotiate it easier than expanded playoffs for DH, which was the conversation this year. It went nowhere. So yes, I expect them to be there. But if I'm the union, I'll say, okay, yes, expanded playoffs, but... Give me these other incentives as well as the incentives built into the new playoff structure. And let's have enhanced competition. That is the union's greatest concern. It is a fair concern based on what we've seen in recent years. And I expect it to be really the overriding thing that colors these negotiations. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. All right, the next question, we're going to go to it. It feels a little dated, but I think that's worth discussing, Ken, because uh, small sample size is a thing early in a baseball season. Hey, it's uh, Trevor from New Jersey. Um, why do you think the Braves are off to such a slow start? <laughs> well, Trevor, they were 0 and 4, <laughs> and then they won their next four going into Sunday night's game. We're taping right before that. So, slow start. Four games, I don't know, that's not a very high percentage of the season. And it shows you, as Tim alluded to, how 
perceptions at this point in the season can really be altered quickly and not necessarily fairly. If anything, even at 4-4 and entering Sunday night, I still love the Braves to win the division. They're my pick. I'm sticking with them. At 4-4, and Acuna was really the only one who was hot offensively. Freddie Freeman was starting to come on. Everyone else was sort of struggling. Freed had not pitched well. The bullpen had shown flashes, but Will Smith in the back had been inconsistent. Sean Newcomb's emerging as an interesting left-handed piece. So I just expect they're going to be there all season long. They are a very good, well-balanced team. They've got young players. They've got a good mix of veteran players as well. And they've won three straight division titles. And I know Pakoda never seems to like them. None of the projection systems really do. But we've seen the way they've performed. And that track record makes me more confident in them than it does in, say, the Mets or the Phillies or the Nationals, too. And though the Nationals won the 2019 World Series, of course, but they're a little bit different team now. And the Braves have built this. And they reached... The NLCS went to Game 7 last year. I just like everything about them. Another small sample size uh, experiment this year so far, the Red Sox. They were 0-3, now 6-3, six straight wins. Although, I don't think you would really say any of those things you just said about the Braves, about this current Red Sox roster. But another team that 0-3 to 6-3 to start off the season. One more question from the voicemail, Ken. Hello, Ken. I don't think people realize how global baseball is. And I'm just curious, is Major League Baseball doing anything to push that? I know they had the London series that ended up being canceled for the Cubs and Cardinals. But I love the Yankees-Red Sox series. I couldn't go. You know, I'm just curious if Major League Baseball is moving forward with trying to globalize the game even more. Thanks. Take care, guys. Yes to the question. Yes is the answer. And the pandemic interrupted the plans that were in place last season to have Cubs Cardinals in London and my expectation is that when it's appropriate when the sport can feel safe about conducting that series again the London series it will return to England and I expect it will also expand to other countries in Europe in future years we've seen games in Mexico we've seen games in Puerto Rico baseball is very mindful of the global market and how it needs to expand its reach. I mean, it's it's obvious, right? Why wouldn't you want to? If you're a business, why wouldn't you want to expand and get that much more interest and money from fans in other countries? There are fans all over the world. There's no question about that. So, yes, the answer to the question is yes, that they are going to pursue those efforts. They're kind of on hold right now because of the pandemic. I was looking forward to going back to London last year with Cubs Cardinals, and I expect and hope in the future MLB will do it again because it was an absolute blast to cover. Just need to get some better games next time they go to uh, London. Yeah, the games were not great. (laughs) You're right, Tim. They were bad. (laughs) Plenty of offense. I guess if if you're a a British baseball fan and the Red Sox and Yankees come, you want to see offense. You got to see plenty of that two years ago. All right, if you want to get involved in the show next week, we mentioned at the top, you can use the voicemail line at 646-543-7072 or email the show, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Ken, you didn't cover a game this past week, but you're getting busy in the next week with two, right? Yes, I've got Phillies and Mets 
for MLB Network on Wednesday and then Twins Angels for Fox on Saturday. Not traveling yet. I'm going to do that one from the MLB Network studio. But the Angels have so many stories. The Twins have started so well with their starting pitching. Best starting pitching in the game right now. Really looking forward to that one as well. So check out Ken on Fox or MLB Network for those games. And if you want to read his writing along with all the other great writing being done at The Athletic right now, and not just baseball, but all of the different sports. You can join right now for just $3.99 per month. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show to get that deal. Coming up later this week on The Athletic Baseball Show on Tuesday in Starkville, Joe Buck is going to join Jason and Doug. That'll be a great episode. Last week, they had on Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper, the Giants, play-by-play tandem. Those guys were hysterical, so go back and check out that episode. And then coming up on Thursday this week, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And, of course, on Friday, it's Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. Have a great week, everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.